You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey starts here. Here. Good evening. I'm Tracy Diamond, the Adult Services Coordinator at the Enoch Pratt Free Library, and thank you for joining us in the African American Department of Central Library for a very special Writers Live. This evening, we're honored to have the multi-talented Kim Paris Upshaw talk about the Silent Women's Club and share from her book, In Sunshine and Daniel, Seeking Grace in Lost Motherhood. After the talk, we'll have a Q&A, and then there will be time to mingle and buy books we are podcasting the evening, so during the Q&A, uh, if you could please wait for me to come to you at the microphone, then everyone can hear um, on the podcast and in the room. In Sunshine and Daniel, Seeking Grace in Lost Motherhood, Kim Paris Upshaw takes us on a journey from lost to love. With each step along the pages of this unique storytelling Bible study experience, these special mothers learn to be free from the shame, guilt, and sadness of their loss to receive God's grace, peace, and love in their lives again. Kim lives in the greater Philadelphia, in greater Philadelphia, Pennsylvania with her husband, Michael. Although she's a lawyer from nine to five, she makes up for it as a gospel recording artist and songwriter the rest of the day. She has several music projects to her her credit, including the 2013 release of His Way, a gospel CD that includes 10 songs written and performed by her. His Way features world-renowned jazz artists, including bassist Gerald Beasley on the title track His Way and Grammy-winning saxophonist Kirk Whalum on Do You Love Me? So please give a warm welcome to Kim Paris Upshaw. Hello. Thank you for coming out. It's uh, really exciting to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Thank you, uh, Ms. Diamond, for introducing me. I appreciate it. Um, I wanted to start by asking a question. And the question is, do you know a woman who's lost a child? Yeah, most of us do. It's funny, when I ask men that question, they say, "Mm, no. And that's because we don't talk about it. That's because we um, experience that loss internally and we don't make sure that people know about it. We assume that people don't want to hear about our loss. We assume that that's not something that we should talk about. And um, I've lost two children. um, And I knew after the loss of the first one that I needed to write about it, but I was embarrassed because my first loss was by abortion. And I was absolutely embarrassed to write about it, to talk about it. I am very active in my church. And in the 1980s, having an abortion, um, it wasn't popular. It wasn't something that someone in the church would talk about. As a matter of fact, I was called um, a murderer. And so I didn't want to talk about that and expose to everybody that I murdered my child, right? And yet I needed help. I needed to know that I was forgiven. I needed to know that I was okay. And I needed to know that I could make it past that. And I felt like for so many years that God was unhappy with me. I was unhappy with myself because of it. Um, And when I got pregnant again, I was so excited because I thought, I have another chance. God's given me another chance. Maybe I'm not that bad. And then I lost the child to preterm labor. And I thought, 
my body has um, turned its back on me, um, and maybe it's because I am a misfit. There's something wrong with me. Um, what woman can't have a child? Like, what, what is that all about? And I realized um, that I needed help, and I needed to talk to somebody, and I needed to go ahead and share my story. And so that's what I did in the book, Sunshine and Daniel. Um, I wrote it because I climbed my way out of the sadness, the despair, the isolation, feeling like there was something wrong with me, and the shame and guilt and all of those feelings around losing a child, especially when you have been part of the reason the child was lost. And even when you haven't, um, mothers who suffer miscarriage, who suffer preterm labor as I have, and even mothers whose children are killed or children who commit suicide feel like it's their fault in some way. Um, and I realized that we are a group of women who need each other. And so after almost 20 years of knowing I needed to write this book, I finally had the courage to do it. And if you would bear with me, I would like to read a little bit of um, Sunshine and Daniel for you. And I'm going to read from the beginning of the book because I think it sets the stage of um, really understanding what this book is about. So the first chapter is Seeking Grace in Loss. And it opens with the scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Two lines on the strip of the home pregnancy test confirm what I suspect. I'm pregnant. My tears are filled with fear, confusion, and the worry that I can never care for my baby and myself. In the 1980s, at 18 years old, naive and pregnant, my life takes a drastic change. As a little girl, I dreamed of motherhood, of course, but not this soon. Weeks later, I terminate the pregnancy. I don't speak about the abortion publicly. A lady doesn't talk about this sort of thing, you know. I hurt in silence, harboring the turmoil of my decision in my mind like an unwanted fugitive. Socially, I can't grieve the end of my child's life or consider the abortion a form of child loss. Though I desperately need the comfort and support of friends and community, I hide my pain. It's better to pretend that my life is all right. Abortion is legal, but controversial. With the candidacy of Geraldine Ferraro, the first woman nominated for Vice President of the United States, the issue of abortion reaches a national high. Conservatives and Catholics dispute the morality of abortion against the pro-choice stance of the first female candidate. None of them appreciate or accept the long-term emotional effects of abortion on the mother. Therefore, I assume the role that society assigns to me, a disgraced young woman who committed a murderous act. Almost 20 years later, I have another chance at motherhood. Though not married, I am excited for the opportunity to have another child growing in my womb and to give birth. Just months after the child 
uh, after confirmation of my pregnancy, despite bed rest, diagnosis, testing, innovative preventative procedures, hospitalization, and a lot of prayer, my body goes into preterm labor. Delivery proceeds. My son dies of preterm birth a few hours later. As if two lost children are not enough, a couple years later, I'm advised that I'll never bear another child. The biblically correct term for my status is barren. I don't know which hurt more. The death of my two children or the death of my dream to become a mother. All I know is the residue of agony lingers. I have never told the full story of these life-changing events. As the daughter of upstanding, God-fearing parents, long-felt embarrassment about my youth-inspired first pregnancy would not allow it. Later, as a self-sufficient adult, intermediate-level Christian, and leader in my church, my second failed pregnancy left me dispirited. In combination, the evolution of my pregnancies was, was simultaneously exciting, psychologically draining, intellectually confusing, yet ultimately depressing. On one hand, there was the pregnancy I'd, prohib I'd been prohibited from mourning, and the other, I could more openly grieve. There's the lost child that should not be spoken of, while the loss of the other should be quietly endured. One loss to be considered immoral, and the other, sadly, unfortunate. In my heart, I've been a mother for only 28 weeks of my entire life. The twinge of new life grew inside me along with the common expectation of being inadequate and undeserving of such tremendous gifts. The hope of, full, of a full future, including first steps, bike rides, kindergarten classes, graduations, weddings, and grandchildren, twice flashed before my eyes. Happy thoughts filled my core instantaneously. Just as quickly, the reality of not being blessed to feed, change, or birth my children destroyed my remaining dreams of motherhood. Learning I would not see two lines on the strip again obliterated all hope. The extremes of joy and pain are a contradiction few people understand and even fewer want to. If you understand what's been described, then it's likely that you and I have something in common. You might have experienced loss through means other than abortion or premature labor. No matter the source, this most love-destroying loss is devastating. There's no way to describe all the feelings a mother experiences at the loss of her child. Yet my story, our story, is not unique or an isolated occurrence. More women than you know have lost their chance to be that child's mother. In fact, lost motherhood is timeless. After joining an abortion recovery meeting, I stayed behind one evening to speak with the facilitator. She shares that she's encouraged that brave women attended the meeting. This strikes me as odd since only three or four women participated. She says it's great to have multiple women willing to break through the shame of their decision. She continues to teach me about grace and Christian love. It's when you offer a place that people come, a safe place that people come, but they won't know it's safe if you don't offer and let them find you, she instructs me. Prudent words. It makes me wish I'd kept making myself available years earlier when I offered a mother's healing meeting, 
a friend had opened her Christian counseling offices for the meeting in which she would coach me in counseling with mothers like me. No one enjoyed our recovery mission. We eventually scrapped the idea. In my heart, I knew God wanted me to complete this mission. How to do it was not so clear. Knowing how hard it is to step forward to talk about lost motherhood is a high hurdle for such a ministry to clear. Mothers like me are reluctant to share their stories because we either feel like a failure, a sinner, or we're so miserable that we don't want to participate in a group with other women. After all, we think none of those women will understand our story. We think our individual story is the worst of all. It's different than other stories. It's embarrassing. It's not something that a group of women can help with. But it's exactly what we need. We need to hear the stories of other women who have been through what we're going through. We need to know we are not strange or evil. There are women who identify with our experiences and with whom we can find encouragement. They are our sisters in the struggle with lost motherhood. And one of the things that I learned is by sharing my story that other women are willing to share their stories and start to come out of the shame of having lost children. Um, I've had people ask me, why the book title Sunshine and Daniel? Well, um, those are the names of my children. I decided, even though the first child I lost to abortion very early in my pregnancy, um, and I didn't know whether my child was a male or female, um, for many years I called the child it. And I realized I was not feeling and allowing myself to identify with the motherhood that had lived in me. And so I named my child. And I decided to name my child Sunshine because for a time I was excited about being pregnant, about being a mother, about this life that was growing inside of me. And because that pregnancy taught me a lot about myself. It helped me to grow up. I was naive. I was young. I didn't know a lot. Um, I'd had the, uh, the sex talk before I left home, and this was what the talk was. My father said, don't do it. That was the entire talk. And unfortunately, it wasn't enough for me. And I, when I experienced, went out, left home and experienced, I ended up pregnant and I didn't know what to do. And that was why I ended up having an abortion. Years later, when I was older and I was, I was adult, as you heard from my reading, I was an adult. I thought that I was accomplished enough. I had, you know, made my way a little bit. I could, I had a home. I could take care of a child and I lost the child. And we had decided to name my child Daniel because Daniel in the Bible was strong was determined to follow God and could judge between right and wrong. And I wanted my child to have that same ability. I believed that he would. And I knew that it was, uh, he was a boy because I had gone that far in my pregnancy. And so I share that portion of my story because for any woman who's lost a child, especially um, pregnancy loss, it is very important to name the child. It's important because then the child becomes a child. It becomes, that person becomes part of you, becomes something that you can hold on to. And when you refer to the child, you refer to them by name. Think about the children in your life, whether they're your children or not your children. You refer to them by name, right? They have personality, they matter, they have meaning. And in order for 
any mother who's experienced child loss to have the same thing, um, it's important to name the child. I've had women who've lost children come to me and ask me how I got through it. And I say to them, it's important to name your child. And when they do that, they identify in a whole new way. Anything you name is yours. You have a bit of ownership, so to speak. You have um, a possessive uh, possession of that. It becomes yours. You identify with it. And that child is part of you. I also talk about the women who've lost children as mothers. Because from the moment you become pregnant, you are a mother. And we should identify with that and not disidentify with that or dis, dis, uh, t- distinguish ourselves from that emotion. I want to share some statistics because we don't talk about it. And it's almost as if we all, m- women who've lost children, feel like we're isolated and we isolate from each other and from other people. One in four known pregnancies are lost to miscarriage. Each year, over 50,000 U.S. children die. Black children have the highest rate of death. And if that is the case, that means there are a lot of black mothers out there who've lost children. Many of us raised our hands when I asked that question, do you know um, a, a mother, a woman who's lost a child? It's not just black women who've lost children, but it hits us harder, and it's more prevalent in our community And we have to be comfortable talking about it and helping each other through child loss and erasing the stigma of losing children. Women have been losing children since the beginning of time. And that was why when I wrote the book, I decided to make it also a Bible study where we can study from Eve to Mary at the cross with Jesus, who've lost children. And I bet you've never thought of Eve as the mother of a lost child or Mary as a mother of a lost child. But in between, there are other women in the Bible who's lost children, and we can learn from them. Hannah. Hannah gave her child away. And for many years, I hated her. I couldn't read the story. You mean to tell me you prayed for 14 years for a child, and then you had him and gave him away? What is wrong with you? Once I started reading her story, I realized that she and I identified with each other more than I had thought because she cried. And she was sorrowful, and she was sore. The Bible uses the term sore. She was not happy about the fact that she could not conceive, nor, but when she did, she gave the child back to God. And that was the point I missed. And so I decided to start looking at my pregnancy as an opportunity to have given my child, my children back to God. And that helped me come out of the depression that I experienced. And it's interesting because... There's also a a statistic, a study that said an average of 18.5 years, 0.05 years following the death of a child, parents were still bereaved and were more depressive, um, had poorer well-being, as well as more health problems than parents who had not suffered the loss of a child. So child loss is real. The depression that that, um, lingers after, it's real even if we don't talk about it. And so before you think this book is just totally depressing and nobody wants to ever read it, it there, the reason I wrote it is that it is important that, and to know that we can find grace. Grace exists. You see, I'm smiling. Because what I learned was God has been with me through this entire process. I was not left alone, even though in my head I thought that I was isolated. And 
the most important thing has been not being ashamed to share the story. And every time I share the story of abortion, and I'm willing to talk about it openly, inevitably, someone comes up to me later and says, I have the same story. And they're able to talk about it because they see another face that is not ashamed to talk about it. And so if I will share your story or the story of somebody close to you who needs to come out of the shell, the isolation, the depression, the shame, I gladly do it. I gladly do it. So I also realized that through this experience and sharing about my losses, um, and in the book I share other losses as well, not just my own. I share um, when, my, when my Daniel died, my second child, while I was still in the hospital and had delivered him, because even though I was losing him, I still had to deliver him, deliver the stillborn baby, which was dramatic. Um, in the hospital, they came to me while I was still in the bed and said, would you like to donate his body for research? And I was devastated. While I could not do that, I met another mother who shared her story. And her child, and this story is in the book, her child passed away um, from um, meningitis. Um, and at almost three years old, she decided to donate his organs, and he saved three other children. And in our community, we do not donate organs, we, and we need to because we need to help others. This mother helped others. So I try to share both sides of the story. I have my opinion, but there are others who will um, share organs and share their children so that those children's lives continue to bless. So telling our stories is really important because we help one another. And if we're not helping one another, then what are we really doing? I've learned also in sharing my story that I've been blessed in ways that I never could have if my two children had lived. In 1985, I had the abortion. It was May 1985. Fast forward 30 years. I'm at church. There's a young lady who is the head of the praise and worship team for that year. And she decides that she wants us to become prayer partners. So she and I start praying. And I say to her, I'm going to always pray for you. And she said, okay. So then she, I said, when's your birthday? She said, I was born in May 1985. She was born a few days around the time I was having an abortion. And now she calls me mom. Only God could give me someone who was born at the time that I was aborting my child. And she is not from Philadelphia, but her mother has said to me, I appreciate that my child has someone she can call mom who I know will love her like I do when I can't be there. That is why we must share our stories. That is why we must continue to help, to hope and to help. Because God, and even if you don't believe in God, there is, we, we, there's a greater power than all of us, who will make sure that we connect with one another. And here I have this young lady who calls me mom, who was born at the same time that my child died. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? I just thank God for that. And she is, uh, and actually she's in medical school, so I am very proud of her. Um, her mother came to Philadelphia and thanked me for being in her child's life. And we sat there and cried together all over our meal. Um, and 
I would like to, if I might, do two more things. If I could read the, the end of the book, because again, I don't want you to think that this book is all depressing. There are some very good parts, uh, very exciting parts of the book that I would love to share with you. So in the end of the book, I say, you don't look like what you've been through. This is a statement I heard today on Mother's Day after I shared a little information about my sunshine and my Daniel. This one statement startles me, partly because when I look in the mirror, I see the stains on my cheeks of every tear I've cried for my two little ones. I see every heartache that wished to hold them, feed them, burp them, change them, and comfort them. I see the teenager who naively yielded to abortion. I see the young woman who wanted to cross her legs hard enough and long enough to keep that little boy in her womb just for eight more weeks. I see the woman who cried for hours on end when she realized that any chance of ever having her own child was gone forever. I remember the hurtful, judgmental things, uh, looks of older women who, knowing nothing of my story, believed I did not have, have children because I was chasing my career. I recall the neighbor who asked me if I was too good to stop succeeding in my career to have a child, or was I going to order a baby like that local television news anchor who had artificial insemination? You don't look like what you've been through. Praise God. I'm grateful. If I don't look like what I've been through, or that being a mother was the one thing I wanted my, in my whole life, then I cannot claim any responsibility for the fact that I don't look like the things I've shared in this book. If it's true that I don't look like I've been through what's been described, then there is one reason for all of that. His name is Jesus Christ. He is my healer and comforter. He is my refuge and rock. He is the receiver of my babies and all my hopes and dreams. It was to him I ran each time I lost a child. Each time I tried to get pregnant, each time I learned I was not again. And when I learned that I would never again, it was to him I turned to ask why. It was to him I demanded to know why. It was to him I aimed my indictments. I yelled at him. I begged him. I accused him. I cursed him. I argued at him. I hated him. I went through periods of studying every mother in the Bible. I believed I was each of them. I did all I could to learn from them. I closed my eyes tight to see them and to ascribe their lives onto mine. I tried to have their attitudes, their faith. I tried and I tried. Honestly, I gave up more often than that. Throwing things was normal. Refusing to believe it would get better was the looming default of my mind. I wrestled with the Bible and wondered how it could possibly speak to my heart and my life. Being a childless mother on Mother's Day and gentle and patient with people who made those ridiculous statements was farthest from my mind. Believing that God loved me was, an inconceivable, was as inconceivable as my empty womb until it wasn't anymore. When I stopped trying to understand and stopped trying to reconcile my circumstances with what should have been according to my life plans, I started living again. I started loving children who were not mine. I started opening my heart and my home to other mothers' children. I started hugging people. I started smiling at people. 
and I started to let God be right. When he asked me that question, and the question was, do you want to be a mother or a wife? And I share that in the book. When he asked me that question, even then, he was right. Of course, he had always been right about everything. It took some time, however, for my faith to catch up with God's righteousness. When I stopped trying to rationalize what happened in my life, I was open to just being loved by him. Logic was not in control anymore. Reason didn't matter. My plans were abolished. Other women's motherhood was of no consequence to me. It was just me and him, him and me, his love and my growing need for it. That's when I heard him say, I love you. Sure, he'd said it before. It had always been there in the Bible, in each of the stories of the women there. My own life told me many times he loved me. His sacrifice on Calvary told me he loved me. This me and him, him and me time, however, told me he loved me like none had before. Yet, he didn't just say he loved me. He also said deep into my spirit, my grace is sufficient for your life, Kim. My strength is at its perfect best when you are a weak mess. And that's my version of 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I cannot find the words to explain how I knew this scripture was for me at this time in my life, but it seemed that there was no other word that mattered. The words came off the page of that Bible and gripped and massaged and soothed my wounded, aching, dysfunctional heart in its hand. It said in my ears, in my mouth, my blood, my fingers, my toes, and tears that God loved me. His joy and favor were right there with me to give me the strength I needed to keep on going. I didn't need to give up. I just needed to give it all over to him to no longer hold on to the anger, jealousy, and confusion that had been my three best friends since Daniel died and had turned up their influence on me when my mom died. I could stop meeting them at my bedside most nights. I could stop carrying them on my back throughout the day. I could stop listening for them for guidance and direction. I could instead drop them off on the nearest curb because God's grace had reintroduced herself to and showed me what a true friend does. She'd always been there, but she was now taking a lead in my life because I was willing to let her. So I have noticed something in the news, and that is this new discussion of pro-life and pro-choice. And I have to say this. The pro-lifers, I want to say to them, what about my life? You talk about the life of the child, but what about my life, the life of the mother who remains? And to the pro-choice people, I also say, what about the choice that has left this woman with depression and questions and aching? What about the women who've lost children? Where are they in that? So I'm neither pro-life or or pro-choice. I'm both pro-life and pro-choice. Really, I'm pro-love. I think that's what we need. I think that's what women who've lost children need. And so I created the Silent Women's Club. The Silent Women's Club is a group mostly an online group 
that provides uh, uh, stories and support and just love and ear to women who've lost children. When I introduced the Silent Women's Club, the first person to reach out to me was a man who said, where's the group for fathers who's lost children? And that's a good question, right? <laughs> that's a good question. And so I haven't created that group, um, but I do welcome anyone who's lost a child, who's grieving, um, to join us and to open your heart to loving someone else's child. Our community needs people who have a, a heart to love children. And so I am pro-love. Silent Women's Club is pro-love. We are here to love people, to love children in our communities, anyone's children. And children doesn't necessarily mean little tiny ones. As I told you, I have a young lady in my life. I have several young people who call me mom. Um, I have more young people in my life who call me mom than I ever could have given birth to. So that is the blessing. And that is what the Silent Women's Club is all about. That's why I wrote the book, because I have been blessed. And so to close... And since you mentioned it, <laughs> I want to sing this one song. And its um, song is about, it's another day that we have been blessed. Just another day that the Lord has kept me. Just another day that the Lord has kept me. Well, he's kept me from all evil with my mind stayed on Jesus. Just another day that the Lord has kept me. I'm so glad that the Lord has kept me. I'm so glad that the Lord has kept me. Well, he kept me from all evil. With my mind stayed on Jesus. Just another day that the Lord has kept me. Thank you. Kim, thank you so much for sharing your writing and your heart with uh, us. Sure. Um, I am now going to open it up to audience questions. So does anyone have something they'd like to ask? <laughs> I like the last part saying <laughs> the most. I mean, I enjoyed what you said, Janelle. I just wanted to come and sit and listen because um, my mother, she had like, um, I had a mother that was pregnant 18 times. Mm. And um, she had nervous breakdowns. And she, she wasn't able to take care of us, you know. But she had a lot of babies. Um, the three miscarriages 
And I always looked at my mother like all the suffering. And then when I was a little kid, I was kind of like nervous. I loved her, but at the same time, I was ashamed of her. And and I, I just seen all the changes she went through and then all the extra changes that some of my brothers, me too, but not as much, that raised a lot of hell, went to jail, and she loved them the best she could. And I thought she cared too much, right, because I think people break down when, um, like, they care so much, but what they care about, they can't do nothing about, and it tears them up, yeah. you know, and that's, that's what I believe happened to her, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to come and listen to, um, see if I could pick up something to relate to my mother's uh, suffering. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, um, because in, in, today we think it's unusual when a woman loses a child. But years ago, it was unusual if a woman didn't lose a child. Many of our ancestors lost a lot of children and our parents. I didn't learn about my mother. I, I lost my second child because I had fibroids, which is pretty common in African-American community, but more and more common among women of any nationality, race, etc. And I didn't know about fibroids or women having fibroids in my family until I lost the child. And that's when I heard the stories. And that's when I started to understand the effect of fibroids um, and other types of issues that women have which cause loss. Um, and we don't talk about it, again, because years ago it was expected that you would lose a child. So why are you talking about it? Why do you expect anyone to feel sorry for you? Besides, you probably have other children, and you need to go take care of them. The other thing that people assume is that if you have another child, you're not grieving the child you lost, and that is not true. That is not true. Um, every child that is every child is special, even the children that are lost. Um, I read a story of a woman who had uh, three pregnancies, and she had two children. So on Halloween, she sets up a costume for the child that died. And so when she takes the children out, the two who are living out for Halloween, they remember the one that's not there to go out for Halloween. And that's one of the ways she copes with her grief. And so your mother probably coped in ways that you didn't understand that what she was doing. And as I mentioned um, in some of the statistics, most parents, and that's parents, not just mothers, it's mothers and fathers, will grieve for at least 18 years after the child, trying to understand. Um, I lost my first child 34 years ago, and this past Mother's Day, a few months ago, was hard for me. Um, some Mother's Day I'm okay, but sometimes it's just too hard. I couldn't go to church because people at church... And I'm not just putting down church people. I am one. <laughs> but they will say, oh, well, I'm going to say happy Mother's Day to you anyway. Well, just say it. You don't have to do that. Or you know what? You're a cat mommy. Well, no, cats aren't people. So that's not okay. Um, and so then, and then, you know, who knows what people said to your mom back then. Um, people can be very mean even when they're intending to be nice. Uh, and so I believe she was brave. And I used to call my mother crazy Ruth. Mm -hmm. yeah. And as a kid, I knew that was wrong. Yeah. I would be angry about them making fun of my mother. Yeah, yeah. And I also heard a story of a woman, um, I've heard many stories, um, of a woman who had uh, 15 miscarriages. 
and she ended up having a child. So there are some of us who are able to keep trying, and there are some that it just, it, the, 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 the hurt of losing a child is just too much. And that's why I wanted to write this book to encourage women to come out of the shell and to talk about it. And today, it's more accepting to talk about it. And I think we should. And thank you for sharing, because men don't talk about it. And I also want to encourage men who may have encouraged a woman to have an abortion to talk about it. Talk about your feelings about that, because there are feelings still um, associated with that as well. And it's okay. It's okay to talk about it. We all grow up. We all grow. We all mature. We all have made decisions that maybe we're not proud of. And it's okay. It's part of being human. And we, we grow from them. Thank you. I thought maybe I saw a hand. Um, but Kim, thank you again thank for, you for sharing with us tonight. But I thank you all again for also spending your evening with us. So thank you. This podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the Maryland State Library Resource Center. For more information and to access more library resources, please visit prattlibrary.org.